Well, good morning. How are you guys? Good. I'm Scott Weatherford. So glad you're here. Now, let me explain this card. Wyatt said he wanted every one of you to fill out this card. Now, I've been a Baptist long enough to where I know where people say, I ain't filling out that card. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what this means, okay? We want to do the best job we can communicating with you. There's so many things that are going on, so many things that are changing, so many issues of technology that we've discovered that our records aren't very accurate. And so what we were trying to do over the next several months is to get an accuracy of who you are and where you are and how we could best communicate with you, okay? So that's why we're asking you to fill out that card. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, you could, you could please do that for us. Now, if you do mind doing that, would you do it anyway, please? So we could do the best job we can to help you. Also, there's a place for you to put prayer requests down. Now, this is not a time to write down, I don't like the pastor's socks, okay? So don't use it for that. That's a prayer request that'll go unanswered. But uh, that was supposed to be funny, obviously it wasn't. But um, <clears throat> you could uh, use that card to communicate with us, plus spiritual decisions and next steps and things like that. So that's what it's about. Now, I want you to take your bulletin and you look inside it. We got all kinds of stuff in there. And I want to talk, tell you about that real quick, and I just dropped mine. On the ground in front of me, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. That's okay, it's okay, it'll stay down there. There's a devotional that goes along with this series. Now, I've uh, written a five-day-a-week devotional that accompanies the, this new series we're in, Wimberly Strong. Now, why do we do that? Because we love you. That's why we do it. We want you to be encouraged to have your life built. Now, believe it or not, I think I have the most important job in the world. I do. I think it's more important than, than any other job because what we're doing, what God has asked me to do, is to help shape eternity but with him. Now, I can't do that on my own. We can't do that on, my, on our own. But the church is to be the hope of the world, and we're not only the hope of the world, we're the hope of forever, okay? So we do things that hopefully will inspire you, will encourage you, will grow you. So this devotional is part of that. And I wrote that uh, not too terribly long ago, uh, maybe about three or four weeks ago. I put that together for you guys to be encouraged. And I hope this helps. And I hope you will uh, use that as well uh, during this series on Wimberly Strong. And also, there's a, another a note-taking page in your bulletin. We call it Take the Weekend With You. The scriptures that are in this devotional that's at my feet right now, actually down below me, uh, are listed on there as well. So if you don't read the devotional, you can read the scriptures and it can build your life. And that's what we're, we're about. This church exists to build lives that honor God. So we provide all these curriculum for you on your behalf. Is that okay with y'all? Yeah, that's about five or six of you enjoy that. That's great. The rest of you are just glad that you're not sitting out in the cold today. And by the way, is not today spectacular or what? It is really spectacular. I've discovered that if I were a buzzard, I would live in the hill country. It's the best place because of all the dead critters on the road these days as things are wandering about. So uh, let's jump in right into our, our new series. I'm very excited about this. Something caught my attention uh, several months ago when I first discovered Wimberley. Now, Wimberley had not existed in my memory at all uh, until about, well, last uh, January. I, I knew you existed, but I didn't know anything about it. I really had only been here once, and I came up here once to meet uh, John, my son-in-law's parents. They, we met at uh, Ino's, we had lunch, and that's about all I know. And Tara wandered around on the square and bought things she didn't need at prices she couldn't afford from people she didn't even know. 
And so, uh, but now we know them. It's, it's kind of it's funny how God brings things around. But one thing I picked up on was this, this statement, Wimberly Strong. In fact, there's a flag. And I was given this flag that says Wimberly Strong. Have, have you guys seen this? Like, every, is it backwards? It's backwards and upside down. One more time. Yay! Tara said she was cold this morning. I said she could wrap herself in the flag. But that was supposed to be funny too. Anyway, Wimberly Strong, and it's got three words on it. Read the words for me. What, what do they say? And I thought about that and I said, you know, this would make a really a great sermon series. Because in our culture today, we are enamored with something strong, at strong, Houston strong, Vegas strong, whatever strong. And I wondered if it's some kind of self-motivating preservation concept that we have thinking that if we say the words or wear the t-shirt or have a logo on our, on our baseball uniform, which I saw that on the Houston Astros, which uh, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but Houston will win in seven games. Just so y'all know, okay? So, so those of you that are panicking can relax. Uh, relax. It's just a good thing the Yankees are in the World Series. So this is going to go out on the web, and I'll get grief from that. But um, good old Astro team. But, uh, you know, they have on their, their jerseys t- uh, Houston Strong. And, and we kind of say these things. But maybe this is some kind of, kind of self-assuredness that comes up. Some kind of talking us into something that really doesn't exist within us. And we're trying to garnish strength, hope, courage on something that really, well, it's just not real. It's just not within us. But can we find strength, hope, and courage together? Can it be found in community? Well, yeah, but not really. Not lasting, enduring strength because very soon you'll notice that the attention of the world will walk away from, from Houston and from Vegas and from wherever else that experienced some kind of cataclysmic tragedy. Even from Wimberley, as we've declared ourselves Wimberley strong because of the cataclysmic flood. Now there's nothing like a catastrophe or calamity to bring about clarity. And, and you know that in your life, when things go bad, God all, all of a sudden comes into focus. And things that were fuzzy become clear. Are, are, are you with me on that one? When the diagnosis of cancer happens, the fuzziness becomes clear in the light of a diagnosis. When the bank calls you and say you have no more money, it's, it's a call for clarity because uh, that calamity has brought about a necessity to adjust your lifestyle. Or your spouse says she's leaving or your children are in full-blown rebellion. There's nothing like a calamity that will bring clarity. But what I'd like to do over these next four weeks is to dive into really what shapes us and what gives us clarity. And I'm really excited about this. Uh, you know, we just finished the first life series and, and it was more of a philosophical series as we talked about what God's word says about the church, that we were to, to, to have, know that Jesus loves us and we're to worship God and we're to connect with each other, we're to grow to be like Christ and we're to serve God by serving others and we're to sh- contagiously share the love of God. And then we're, last week we talked about living a generous life. And, and then, I, I know it was a fine series, but man, I'm really excited about this 
because I've gotten a chance to dig into God's word and really bring about some truth. So what we're gonna do over the next four weeks, we're gonna look at passages of scripture that are based on four words, strength, courage, hope, and then finally vision, and see what God's word says succinctly about these topics. And I'm gonna be focusing on singular passages of scripture. As we say in seminary, we're gonna exegete, doesn't that sound fancy, these passages of scripture and see what they really say to us in clarity and really understand, is it a slogan on a flag or is it a relationship in our heart with a living, loving God that gives us the ability to survive when life goes sideways? And I think you already know the answer. Now I wanna encourage you with some other things. Not only are we providing the weekend teachings, these gatherings we have, and I encourage you, do not miss a gathering. If you're, for some reason, you, you miss a gathering, uh, then watch online. There's, uh, I noticed last week on my Facebook page, a thousand people watched the sermon last week online. Isn't it crazy how technology makes things accessible today? Isn't that, isn't that something how th that just makes it available? And so don't miss one of these talks because I think God wants to encourage you. Also, this is a great time to start or to get in a group, groups at first. Uh, we have a group meets on Wednesday nights. If, if you're looking for a group, you're welcome to come to my group. The preacher is in it, so it's long-winded. But we decided last week we're going to start eating, so that will probably offset the long-windedness of it. And it's very close to the campus, so if you have kids at Awana, you can drop them off. You can come to our group and come back and pick them up. That kind of keeps the brevity. If there's kids to pick up, I cut things short. Tara says my talks are a lot like a stick of bologna. They're bologna wherever you cut them off. So that's... Ah, you're getting better. Yeah, you're getting better. She's never said that, actually. I say that she says that, but I'm sure she's thought that, and so have you. Anyway, so we provided this extracurricular material for groups at first. Also, there's, there's videos available on our website that talk in further detail about Wimberley Strong. So I'm pretty excited about this, aren't you? Yeah, it's going to be a fun time together, and now I've got a flag. It's on the floor. Is that bad? It's the, not the American flag, so I think we're okay. I remember the day when we would drop a flag on the floor and we would burn it because it had been disgraced or destroy it, and now we won't even kneel for it. That's, we won't even stand for it. So anyway, in 2005, 2015, the Blanco River swelled to just, just crazy proportion. I can't tell you the number of times people have told me, did you know the water was 10 feet over the Highway 12 bridge? If I had a dollar for that, every time I've heard that comment in the last three or four months, I'd be a very wealthy man. But the truth is the amount of water was staggering. And this community was reshaped by that. Your big heart for disaster relief that's been expressed through the response to Harvey has been uh, well brought about because of the misery you faced in 2015. It's amazing how God could take a misery and make it a ministry. And he does it over and over and over. And he's actually doing that in your life right now. What your pain you're experiencing right now, God's gonna leverage that you might go through this with someone else to encourage them. And so out of this flood came the statement of Wilberly Strong. Well, today we're gonna look at strength. The first word on the flag. 
What does it mean to have strength? Where does that come from and what does that mean? So go ahead and take, your, take the weekend with you notes out. You want to jot some things down. Might encourage you. Now, we quote this scripture often. I could do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Let's read that together. Let's try it. Okay, here we go. I can do all things who gives me strength. Let's try it one more time for you Aggies. Here we go. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, we say that. We quote that, but often we don't look at the context of that. What Paul is saying to the church at Philippi is that he has endured so many tough situations. And he has found contentment in Christ because his strength wasn't so he could lift more weights in the gym or run faster on a football field, but his strength was he found contentment in Christ regardless of his circumstances, regardless of his circumstances. And folks, beloved, I just want to be very honest with you, as I have a ministry to pastors and a greater ministry uh, nationwide, I'm discovering one of the greatest troubles in the church, in the church, is our lack of contentment in the Lord. And we struggle with that. And we want to be we want to be entertained or fed or whatever instead of saying, I can do all things to Christ who gives me strength. And we misquote this passage and we toss it around. And, but this promise of Christ giving us strength is tied to a premise of obedience of contentment. In other words, strength comes from dependence on God, not your intestinal fortitude because you're a Texan. And it changes the way we live. Now, this is a radical concept to the ancient world. In the ancient world, the, in the world that Paul wrote that to, it was considered a grievous vice to admit your weakness. A grievous vice to admit your humility or submission. In fact, it was such a grievous vice, they had no word for humility. And when Paul started writing about humility, he had to make up a Greek word, humilitas, which means a full surrender of my rights and privileges and give my devotion directly to God and submitting to you. Giving up my rights and privileges and submitting to you is the meaning of humilitas. And this was considered crazy talk. But listen to what all else Paul says. So I'm glad to boast about my weakness. And this is found to the church in Corinth, which was a dumpster fire of a church, y'all. I'm so glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. This is why I take pleasure. I take pleasure in my weakness. Can you imagine a, a, a society that thought that weakness was a vice? This was blowing their minds. How could you even say this or how could you even take pleasure in this? And in the insults, hardship, persecution, and trouble that I suffer for Christ, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Well, that's crazy talk. And, and it's, there's a sense in which we today, well, we agree with Paul. We say, yeah, when I'm weak, I'm strong. But do we really live that way? Do we really live that way? I remember when Kayla was little, 
we were listening to a preacher preach, and she leaned over and said, Daddy, is he telling the truth or he's just preaching? I read a quote today that said, it's not hard to preach, but it's hard to live what you preach. And I know that's true because my beliefs are displayed in my actions, not in my pontification. So when we think about this, this thought of how do I live, I know that strength comes from the Lord, but how do I access God's power in order to live strong? How do I go about doing that? So this morning, I want to invite us to turn our attention to the book of Psalms. I love the book of Psalms. Uh, during several times in my life when I've undergone extreme hardship and extreme adversity, I found comfort in the book of Psalms. I have a Bible that I, I use during a particular tumultuous time of, of our life that I, I finished that, that when God delivered us out of that time, I put that Bible away. Because in it, the book of Psalms is underlining notes and underlining dates and underlining promises and underlining thoughts. And I wanted to preserve it so that in times of trouble, I can go back to it and see that God is incredibly faithful. My brother Stan, who hopefully you'll get to meet this summer, I'm, I'm going to invite Stan, who is a biblical scholar. Uh, he will be your favorite Weatherford, I guarantee it. Uh, Stan's going to come in and do what we call a summer soak, where he's going to spend five days with us teaching through probably either the book of John or the book of Mark. I haven't decided which one of those books yet, but we're going to do an old-fashioned Bible conference during the summer called Summer Soak. And uh, he and I might do a little fishing in between, but that's between us and Jesus. It's called sermon preparation, all right? <laughs> but I, I look forward to that. And as we find that strength, and, and Stan has a Bible that he's written notes in the margin that upon his passing, he's going to give it to his son. And he's taken time as a scholar and a pastor for all these years, he's written in the margins of his Bible to pass to his son. I think that's pretty incredible, don't you? Don't you? And I wish I'd have thought of that, but I didn't. I'm going to give my kids my journals, and they're going to see that I, I prayed for them my wife says, my handwriting's so bad, I journal in tongues. But, uh, <laughs> but we'll see where that goes. So let's look at the book of Psalms, and particularly Psalm 51. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to project the, the passages on the screen. So relax. We've made it accessible to you. So it's, there's no problem with that. But in Psalm 51, David is crying out to God. Why? Because David had made a mess of his life. Have you ever been there? Have you ever looked around and go, I've made a mess of things? Now, there's one of two things. Either you've experienced that or you're lying about that. That you've made a mess of his life. Now, to give you a little backstory, that David had entered into an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. Now, I'm going to be talking more about that particular incident uh, come January as we, talk a, we start a, a series called Restoring Hope in Your Life. How do you restore hope in your life when your life has been dashed on the rock of sin? I think that might be a, a, an interesting sermon series. But David had destroyed, had really wrecked his life by his activities with Bathsheba. Now, I'm going to say this, and it's probably going to start a controversy, but we know that in Scripture, David was not where he was supposed to be. He was home instead of with his army. He looked out over the rooftops of Jerusalem, and if you go with me to Israel, in fact, 
You're on the clock. The deadline to sign up is in January. So giddy up if you're going to go. You'll go to the city of David and we'll go to the city of David and you'll see that David's palace was perched in a place that overlooked all the housetops. And David looked out and he saw Bathsheba and then it just went down from, from there. I think Bathsheba knew exactly what she was doing. Tara says, I'm just making that up. So we'll debate that at another time, okay? But I don't think Bathsheba was this sweet little innocent Jewish girl. I think she was looking for a serious upgrade with the king. All right, so that doesn't resonate with y'all at all. You're just shaking your heads and go, shut up and get to your sermon. All right, here we go. So let's take a look at this piece by piece, verse by verse, and let's discover really how to access God's strength so we can then live Wimberly strong. Are you guys ready for this? I'm excited about this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning. And I pray that you will speak through me. That it will not be my words or my thoughts, but your truth that leads us to understanding, that really leads us to your life and your peace. And I thank you for how faithful you are. Even when I'm not faithful, even when I'm a mess, you have a message through this mess for your glory. So build these people that I love and that you love more. And I pray this in your strong name. Amen. Now, looking at this passage of scripture, the first thing that I saw that jumped out at me is that the first thing I do, I have to realize I have a need. I have to realize I have a need. Now, sometimes the realization of my need comes from external pressure, that my need is brought to the surface by circumstances or activities that happen to me from the outside in. Sometimes my, my realization of my need comes from internal conviction. The Holy Spirit starts taking his long, bony finger and jabs at my heart. And I'm the only one that experiences that? By the scowl on your faces, I think I am. But I know that you're not telling the truth, that God points his finger at me. Now, there's a song we used to sing, Dan, that said, Put a finger on anything that doesn't please you, anything I do that grieves you. Holy Spirit, take control. And I thought that's so true that God will point out through external pressure or internal conviction. Sometimes it's through relational confusion as things start unraveling in the relationships around me. I realize that I have a need. David realized he had a need by his open, grievous sin. David did not confess his need until he was caught in his sin. Listen to me very carefully, folks. People do not change when they see the light. They change when they feel the heat. And when you're caught, you'll only confess to the level of someone else's knowledge about your sin. You won't confess it all. Ain't that the truth? Now, some of you are squirming and said, all right, did my wife call you this week? Yes, she did. No, she didn't. <laughs> Listen to what David said. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. I love that. I love when David realizes the character and nature of God because of your great compassion, unfailing love and great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you 
and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. You're proved right when you say, and your judgment against me is just. And that's Psalm 51, one through four. Now, how could David say against you and you only have I sinned? He sinned against Bathsheba as he stepped into an adulterous affair with her. She became pregnant with his child from that liaison. It probably wasn't a one-time deal, but probably a multi-time deal. And then he sinned against Uriah the Hittite, who was one of David's mighty men. One of his inner circle, one of his confidants. David sinned against him and had him killed. David sinned against the people of Israel because as the king, he was to lead an exemplary life and he failed to do that. David had sinned against everybody, but David realized that his biggest sin was a sin against God. Was sin against God. I don't know about you, but I think God just kind of blows off my sin, overlooks my sin. When it grieves, it breaks his heart when I live in open rebellion against him. And the realization a holy God cannot look upon sin. And so he sent his savior to redeem me. But it's still, instead of living in the condition of my redemption, I fall into the, the depravity of my own desire. And David comes face to face. The first step to strength is admitting you need strength. And none of us in this room are beyond that confession. You might say, well, I'm all right. You're not. You need Jesus. You need his power in your life. You need his forgiveness. You need his hope. You need his strength. When I realize my need, then I can truly lean on my God. Because God's unfailing character, because God is full of mercy, because God is the only one who could truly blot out the stain of my sin. Uh, I have some fashion choices. I love white shirts. But one of the reasons I rarely wear white shirts is because barbecue sauce seems to find a place on my white shirt. I cannot go anywhere without wearing a stain upon my clothing. And they came out with these things called Tide Pins. Do y'all know what those are? Tide sends me a thank you note every now and then for the consumption of Tide Pins. And shout out and laundry detergent. And I don't know how many times Tara has just taken a shirt and thrown away and said, well, you've ruined another one. <laughs> but God blots out the stain of my sin. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Blot out the stain of my iniquity. Against you and you only have I sinned. You cannot out God's grace. But that does not give you permission to continue on your pathway of stupidity. You see, there's nothing like sin to weaken your soul. David was broken by his choices. And so are we. And so am I. It's sometimes my circumstances that breaks me, and it's sometimes a life that just breaks me. As I get older, things just break and fall apart. Are y'all with me on that? My get up and go has got up and went. Are you understanding that? And someone asked me the other day, said, I noticed that you have difficulty getting up and down. What's wrong with you? I said, everything. <laughs> everything. 
You know, every down of football I played, every inning of baseball that I caught, every wave of, of the crashing waves that I've surfed upon are now making their residential home in my knees, in my back, in my hips. Are you with me on that? Yeah. But that's okay. God is full of mercy. But most of the time, sin is the rock on which my soul is dashed. Sin is the rock on which my soul is dashed. And it's God's opinion that matters most. It's not your opinion. Listen to me, folks. As a pastor for 36 years, I've allowed often the opinion of the parishioners to shape my esteem. And that is a theological word called stupid. Stupid. I appreciate when you came, you come to me and say, well, Pastor Scott, I, I loved your sermon. Or some of you have not come to me, but you said at others, he sure missed it that week. I should have the position of, I really don't care what you think. I care what God thinks. And when we're concerned about what God is concerned about, he takes care of what we're concerned about. Jesus promised that in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you don't think I preach well enough, pray for me more. If you think I preach well enough, keep it to yourself. As my daughter, Kayla, said, don't feed the bear. Because it's God's opinion that matters most. And when I look at my life, and I should not be concerned with the external opinion of others, but I should look at the inward opinion of my God, who I choose to live all for. Sin, the sin that kills, listen to me very carefully, church. The sin that kills most churches is the sin of entitlement. When you say, this is my church, this is my seat. This is my parking place. This is my preference. And when the church becomes inwardly focused, it dashes itself upon the rock of entitlement. And I want to say to you, entitlement, arrogance, and elitism are three of the nastiest demons in hell. And they make their residence in the local church more often than not. Do you know how you know when you're entitled? When you walk in here and somebody's sitting in your seat and you get mad. There are 500 seats in this place. Go find another one. And the view doesn't change, y'all. I have a face for radio. <laughs> Somebody parks in your spot. Man, I made a decision a long time ago that I would never have my name on the sign of any church building that that I, I preached at. They'd never have my name up there as the pastor. Just not going to do that. And I would never have an assigned parking spot as a pastor. So every Sunday I park up the hill because I have to be here anyway. And I just take the boardwalk of death and I come down here to aggravate y'all. But I have a place that I park up there and it's kind of in the edge underneath the tree and it's my unofficial unnamed spot and by dinghy, somebody was parked in it the other day, and I got sideways mad, and I thought, stupid, stupid, stupid. Go park someplace else. But I realized my entitlement. Do you realize yours? 
Your eyes, your preference. God's moving in this church in a significant way and the devil hates it. So this is what the devil wants to do. He wants to make you feel entitled so you'll stop giving or you'll stop going or you'll stop complaining. You'll start complaining and don't let him, please. Don't let him. I need repentance. I need to come before a holy God and agree with him. Are y'all with me on that one? Yeah. Now I've discovered this, when I'm caught, I confess, but I don't confess at all. I need to get down to the root of my woe, of my sin. Listen to what David said. For I was born a sinner, this is Psalm 51, five and six. For I was born a sinner, yes, for the moment my mother conceived me, you desired from my womb, teaching me wisdom even from there. In other words, God has had you in his sights since the moment you were born. He wants you to come to know him. He wants you to come to live all for him. He wants you to, to, to do business with your condition of your heart. We need to agree with God and turn to him. That's what really repentance is, to agree with God and turn to him. Another word for, for repentance is surrender, that I'm going to join the winning side. Strength comes from dependence, surrender, and admitting, admitting my weaknesses. That's where it comes from. Repentance is not just feeling sorry. It's aligning your heart, soul, mind, and strength with God and his standards. Not just the knowledge of God, but to intentionally align myself with God. And that takes the adjustment of my life. Now, I hear people say this to me all the time. Well, you know, people... They're inherently good. No, they're not. People are not inherently good. They're just not. We're inherently sinful. Are you with me? We have a living illustration of the depravity of man in our family in a two and a half year old. I was having a conversation with my daughter the other day. I said, what's wrong with my little granddaughter? She said, she's full of the devil. And that was a mama and her frustration, but theologically she was right. We are born sinners, are we not? We need an encounter with a living, loving God that draws us to himself through the wooing of the Holy Spirit and transforms us when we admit our need and say, Jesus, I'm yours. We are not inherently good. We need to turn and agree with God. And God doesn't want you to live that way. He wants you to come to him in repentance and he's provided a way of deliverance. Listen to what Paul said. So the trouble is not with the law for it's spiritually, spiritually good. The trouble is with me for I'm all, I'm all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Does that ever sound like you? Hmm. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's Romans 7, 14 through 16, 24 through 25. I can live free in the power of the Holy Spirit through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, not in the weakness of my human condition, but in the strength of my glorious Savior. I have a redeemer and his name is Jesus.
and his indwelling spirit changes me. So restoration is God's job and not my job. To find strength in him, I must surrender to him. Is this helpful so far? Y'all are awful quiet and staring at me awful hard. I feel like got something wrong with me. I know I got a jacket on. That's unusual. But trust me, I'm still sweating as normal. Okay. Listen to what Paul, uh, David goes on to say. Purify through my sin, I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right loyal spirit within me. Don't banish me from your presence, but don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing, make me willing, make me willing to obey you. Because I will not willingly obey God unless the Holy Spirit is making me willing to obey God. I'm willing to do what I want to do when I want to do it, and the Bible calls it sin, but when the Spirit of God controls my life, he makes me willing to live to God's standards. I need help. You see, brokenness affects the whole person. In this psalm and other psalms when David was in repentance, David gives a list of the things that were broken. Now, as I, as I look through this and I look through these other psalms he wrote, these are the things that David said were broken because of his sin. You might want to write these down. He, first of all, he says, my eyes were broken because of sin. My mind was broken because of sin. My ears were broken because of sin. My bones were broken because of sin. My heart was broken because of sin. My spirit was broken because of sin. My hands were broken because of sin. My lips were broken because of sin. Did y'all get all that? You couldn't write all that down that fast, could you? Let me give you the list again, just quick. Eyes, mind, ears, bones, heart, spirit, hands, and lips. That's a lot. And we don't realize the effects of sin. And we fool ourselves and we think sin only affects our spiritual condition. It doesn't. It affects those in relationships around me. When I had to come to the realization, when Paul said in the book of Ephesians, which we're going to look at next year as well, we're going to look through that piece by piece through that whole book together, that when I love Tara as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for it, that means my sinfulness affects my wife. It affects you. And not just me. And your sinfulness affects me and your family and this community. And it's a big deal. It's a big deal. You see, David needs total restoration. And so do I. If David were a house at Wimberley, he wouldn't be a gut job. He'd be a tear it down and start all over job. And so are you. David said God had broken him. And the reality, David had broken himself through his sinful choices. All God did was reveal to him his brokenness through conviction and confrontation. If I had time, I talked to you about the confrontation David experienced that brought him to the reconciliation of his need for repentance. 
because David would continue in his depravity until he was caught. But God stepped in with a confrontation by a very godly man named Nathan. And I bet you Nathan did not enjoy that assignment, but nonetheless, he did that. He confronted the king with his sin. You see, once we've entered into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we can't lose our salvation, but by sin and neglect can cause us to feel lost and powerless. Sin and neglect can cause us to feel lost and powerless. You don't lose your salvation. You just lost the joy of your salvation. The condition of your soul is held by the goodness of God. It's called the perseverance of the saints. It's one of our core beliefs here, that once we trust Christ, he will not let you go. But your sin and your neglect could cause you to live in what we used to call in the church a backslidden condition or carnality. Y'all remember the good old days we talked about that? In fact, we used to, when we call people to repentance, not just to come to Christ, but to, to be renewed in Christ, to rededicate our lives to Christ. And somehow we've forgotten that message, but I want to bring it back to Wimberley. We need a good old-fashioned, on-your-face rededication to Jesus. And it starts here. Dan, we used to sing, let's have a revival. From the pulpit to the pew, let's have a revival that starts with me and you. That's a devil-chasing, sin-erasing, Holy Ghost renewal. Let's have a revival. All right. I'm not saying sing that next week, just so you know. But the truth is that song has the resonance of our repentance that is needed. Are you with me, church? How often do you need to be rededicated? Probably more often. If you drive to Austin, I need thee every hour. And the truth is we have to deal with us, with us. David had the indwelling spirit of God in his life. From the moment David was anointed king, the Bible says the spirit of God lived on him from that day forward. He did not lose that. But David had lost the feelings of God's presence because of his sin. He experienced it once before when he was living among the Philistines. And he came back to the town of Ziglag that had been burnt and all his family carried off by the Amalekites. So the Amalekites, either way, you want to say that. And David comforted himself in the Lord. And David used that experience now in this period of separation to comfort himself in the Lord. And I need and we need a willing spirit to come back to Jesus. To come back to Jesus. We need the strength of the Lord to give us power so we can live strong. Live strong. Being right with God brings that deep, renewed joy and it brings that deep, abiding strength. God can and will forgive you so you can and you should forgive yourself. I've heard people say, oh, pastor, I know God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. You know what I say? Who do you think you are? That the great God of heaven, the maker of heaven and earth, can say to you, I forgive you, and you're so arrogant, you will not allow a God who's forgiven you for you to forgive yourself? Who do you think you are? I'll tell you who you think you are. You think you're God. That's your big problem. How do I know that? Because that's my big problem. 
Then I will live to revitalize others. Y'all, I'm sorry to preach so long day, but I had a fire burning. <laughs> then I live to revitalize others. Then I will teach your ways to rebels. I like that word. And they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, how I would offer one. You, you don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. Don't you love that? You see, a strong life is a life that lives all for Jesus. That it's not just a slogan we throw out or a wristband we wear, but it's actually the direction of our life. The greatest story I can tell is how God has given me strength and given me hope and given me courage and given me vision because he has come and rescued me. That is the great story of his love, his mercy, his grace poured out and his hope poured out on me. And God is not impressed with my religious ritual. He's not said, hallelujah, you got out of bed, you drove 10 minutes to First Baptist Church, Wimberley. Good job. He's not impressed with that. He's not impressed. Well, I listened to Dr. David Jeremiah on the radio this week. He's not impressed with that. He's impressed with the repentant, surrendered life. And God restores rebels. And he uses this rebel to restore other rebels. Because God who could save a wretch like me could save a wretch like you. We sing the song Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. The five notes of that Amazing Grace is a pentatonic scale that's indigenous to West Africa. That song was written by John Newton, who was a slave trader, who heard the humming of that tune coming from the bowels of the ship of human cargo. He was carrying him off to live in total depravity. And God came in and he changed John Newton's soul. And he wrote that great hymn, Amazing Grace, who saved a wretch like me. And God has used that tune to bring other rebels to the saving relationship that the rebel John Newton had found. And he's doing it for me. And he's doing it for you. And we do this together. That is so why it's so important, beloved, for you and to invite your friends and neighbors to come with you, to come and see, to come and see a God who can save you. Do you really care that 85% of Wimberley is unchurched? Do you really care that 90% of Hayes County is unchurched and more than likely bound for a devil's hell? Do you really care? If you really cared, you'll be a rebel with a cause. And the cause is King Jesus. The cause is King Jesus. And this, my friend, is Wimberly Strong. This is a relationship that's not in self-reliance or tough-mindedness, but a full dependence on the one who can forgive, restore, and give me strength. So I ask you the question today. So are you Wimberly Strong? Are you Jesus Strong? Choose today 
the decision that shapes your destiny for eternity. Choose Jesus, for when I'm weak, he is strong.